Welcome to the Real Estate Syndication Show. Whether you are a seasoned investor or building a new real estate business, this is the show for you. Whitney Sewell talks to top experts in the business. Our goal is to help you master real estate syndication. And now your host, Whitney Sewell. This is your daily real estate syndication show. Your host is Whitney Sewell. That's me. And our guest today is Ron Legrand. Thanks for being on the show, Ron. My pleasure, sir. Yeah, Ron is nationally recognized real estate expert and trainer with 35 years of experience in both residential and commercial properties and over a 30-year history of hard money lending and brokering, personally buying and selling over 3,000 single-family houses and completing over $300 million in commercial property deals with student partners all over America. He's a highly sought-after platform speaker who has addressed audiences as large as 20,000 and as small as 100 in hotels and convention centers across North America, sharing the stage with leaders such as Donald Trump, Robert Kiyosaki, Rudy Giuliani. Is that how you say that? Giuliani. Giuliani, that's right. Tony Robbins, Larry King, Dr. Phil, Susie Orman, and many others. And so, Ron, I really appreciate your time and just being willing to be on the show and share your expertise. Would you let the listeners know a little more about you in case they haven't heard of you before and what your focus is? Well, first of all, my 35 years have already grown into 37, Whitney. (laughs) (laughs) I just keep getting older and older and older. Pre-2008, we literally had 32 commercial projects going on simultaneously, all of them developments, or most of them developments, in nine different states. And that's where I had a lot of experience in raising capital and private placements and so forth. I'm what you'd call a generalist, not a specialist. I don't focus on any one type of commercial property. Truthfully, if you really narrow it down, they're all the same anyway. It's either a piece of land or a building sitting on land, and it's either generating income or it's not. It's all about raising income or finding our building or selling something. So and that's single family as well as commercial. So 3,000 houses, I don't know. So I quit counting 10 years ago, but I still do a few every month. Awesome. I mean, it's, it's such a wide range of experience. And I don't know that I've had many people or anybody that's had that much experience. So as far as, I guess, the 300 million or, or more in commercial property deals, obviously you're dealing a lot with syndications, you're raising capital, you're working with a lot of students. I guess, tell us a little bit about what that looks like right now for you, what you all are focused on in that space. Well, right now, the projects that I was working on pre-2008 didn't get to maturity because when Lehman Brothers went down September of 08, capital dried up around the world like overnight. I've never seen its faucet shut off so fast. But more importantly, all the exit strategies dried up. So projects that I had then did not get to a conclusion. And I don't know where the $300 million number come from, but there were probably at least a billion dollars worth of potential net profit in those projects had we not had that recession. Uh, Today, I don't do it on that scale. I still have some commercial properties. I'm sitting in one right now that that I own, but I have a lot less focus on that than I did back then. What I did enjoy, though, was raising the money through the private placements. But again, I have an audience. We do seminars all over the country. And I always had an audience to tell about my private placements, just like you're doing right now with the podcast. My audience was just in, in chairs. Well, I guess yours are too, though, aren't they? <laughs> my audience could see me. And I've been thinking about doing that again when I get a project that I feel like that should fit, but I'm not as active as I was. On the other hand, I'm a lot older than I was then too. But you don't claim to be, right? No. If I get out of bed okay in the morning, I'm fine. So, you know, as far as you've raised so much capital, obviously you're an expert in in that part of the business. You're helping students, you're helping lots of people be able to do the same. 
and that's a big question that I get all the time. People call me every week. Many people's like, how do I get started in this business? How do I get started raising capital? How do you guide students as far as getting started in this business and raising capital? Well, there are several things I'd say on that. First of all, I don't think anybody should go out and try to do a private placement on a project that they've never done before or really don't have the basic knowledge because it might not work out so well. And now you're putting other people's money at risk. If you're going to do that, you should have some history in doing that kind of a project. And frankly, it'll be a lot easier to sell the more credibility you have anyway. And people always say, well, but I've done not done that. Well, then latch on to somebody else that has somebody with the credibility into the program and make it worth their while to participate. Now the credibility is there, even if it's not you. But the biggest way to break into real estate is most certainly not going out and getting a $20 million project and then try to fund that thing. So I would suggest start a lot smaller and work your way up, which almost everybody I've seen make any real money in commercial has done just exactly that, including myself. And we start with projects that we can get our heads around. And of course, first, we ought to probably learn how we're going to finance or fund the projects that we start with. So a lot of that is private money. As you mentioned, I had a long history in making private loans for people who would rather put their money in a mortgage or a deed of trust and in the stock market. I made over 3,000 private money loans and I collected the points. They collected the interest, but that's loan to value ratio loans had nothing to do with the credit, but still low loan to value ratio. So that kind of money has its place, but that's probably to fund the property in order to raise enough money to buy it and then turn it around. And then the exit strategies almost always either refinance it or sell it at that point. And there always should be an exit strategy. Never go into a project where you don't know what the exit is and plan accordingly. I always tell everybody, Whitney, you better know the exit before you go in the entrance because your offer to purchase will hinge largely on your intended exit strategy. Hmm. That's great advice. They're always knowing the exit before you go in the entry. I really like that. And I've made that mistake early on myself. And you're counting on that sale, right? You're building toward it. Yeah. Or the refi. That's right. And then, you know, as well as I do in, in our world, in the world of income producing commercial property, we'll know what the thing is worth before we even close the purchase. If it needs turned around and stabilized, the value is going to be dependent on the income and that operating income. So pretty easy. We don't have to go get an appraisal <laughs> on an apartment complex that has 200 units and 120 of them are vacant because I don't know what that appraisal is going to be worth anyway. Nobody's going to accept it. But we know what the United operating income will be once we turn it around and get the tenants in that thing based on some homework and comps that we do. And so when we get to that point, now we know what the after repaired value is. So that will, of course, guide our offer to get into it. And then it's just a matter of, okay, if the seller is going to get money right now, where's it going to come from? Multiple sources of that. And then what point do I have to be at before I want to go for a refi, if that's the case? There are formulas, the formulaic approach to that, as you well know. That's my debt coverage ratio or DCR, as they call it. And that will determine how much of a loan I can get. Well, I can be figuring that out before I ever make the offer to buy the house. And that's the whole point about knowing the exit before you go in the entrance. I like that. And could you lay out just maybe some buying criteria that you've stuck by that's proven successful when looking at commercial property? Yes. Well, I'm not the guy that's going to pay retail price for it. Those are the folks we sell to. And there's plenty of them out there. In fact, most of the investors looking for the commercial properties are looking for cash flow. They're not really seeking out a great big bunch of equity in the property. However, I'm the opposite. If I buy a commercial property with me, it's got a problem. Either the property's got a problem or the seller's got a problem or both because I can fix that problem. By the way, if I can't fix it, I won't buy it. But if I can fix that problem, I'll build in my own equity. Therefore, I have a reason to actually do the work to turn this thing around. And if there's not a problem, then I'm not going to buy it at a low enough price to make me want to go do all that work. 
raise the money and so forth. So in other words, I kind of like to get paid for what we do. I mean, there's a thought. And an 8% return on investment is not going to work for me if I'm active. So the whole goal is to find properties that need fixed or find land that needs developed and rezoned and then do it and then sell it at retail price, not buy at retail price and just go for the small cash flow. As you remember, a lot of people that had equity pre-2008 didn't have that equity post-2008. So (laughs) it's not about equity. It's about cash flow and what can I get out for? when I think the time is right and how much money will I make in the process. Nice. So what are some creative ways that you found where you found the problems like you're re- referring to? Let's say a large multifamily, 100 plus unit. Very easy. It's got a large vacancy factor and it probably needs rehab. When those two things are there, nobody's asking retail, that's for sure. So now it's just a matter of buying at a price that would be very deeply discounted wholesale price, knowing that what my after repair value is going to be, so that I can then go in, raise enough money to get it purchased, raise enough money to do the rehab, and then, again, either refinance it or exit. Most people buying apartment complexes that are turning them around are going to get a HUD. I find, in my experience, the big entities, the hedge funds and the like, they don't want anything to do with a turnaround. They're only interested in the properties that are stabilized so they can get their single-digit return and hopefully an upside when they decide to sell it. Well, I'm going to be the guy that presents those products to them. So, in an apartment complex, almost always they're going to have a large vacancy factor and need a lot of work. Sometimes 100% totally vacant. There's a couple of those way back because the bank repoed and cleaned everybody out. And unfortunately, most of the time when they repoed, they waited too long to clean everybody out and the neighbors came in and gutted the units while the bank was messing around with them. But anyway, it's all about math, isn't it? Yes. So would you say the majority of those properties are going to be C-class or B-class I mean, when you find them like that? I would say the majority are going to be C because hard to find properties in A and B classes where they have been let go to pot like that to where they're to the point to where I'd be interested in buying them. It's just math and it's law supply and demand. The big companies that are buying properties, there's such a big market for them, especially right now, especially apartments, that a B class is likely going to get closer to retail price than wholesale price when it's sold. Okay. So is C class something like you lean more towards uh, to finding more value? Yes. Only because that's where the deals are. Okay. In my experience. And what about finding some opportunities like that? Maybe you can give us some pointers on ways you found them besides driving around. Well, contrary to some people's belief, I always like LoopNet. LoopNet.com. People say deals on LoopNet. Well, they couldn't be more further from wrong. There are a lot of deals on LoopNet. As long as you know what to look for and understand some easy to pre-screen factors, such as large vacancy. In fact, if the property's got a net operating income, I probably don't want it because <laughs> that means it's probably more closer to retail than wholesale. In other words, if it's not making any money, it can't have an NOI, net operating income, until I get in there and turn it around. Of course, that also makes it worth a whole lot less money. So that's what makes me interested in it. Well, I can find those on LoopNet. And then, of course, almost everything we bought came through some kind of a commercial broker. Sometimes you just ride down the street and you see a sign in front. Back here, I'm, one of my favorite things is land because A, there's no tenants and B, there's really no turnaround unless I want to build on it. Many of my projects, I bought land at underzoned and then changed the zoning and also sometimes got them approved. Good example would be a housing project. Let's say I got a hundred acre track of land a little bit outside of town, but not far out. It's on the path of park progress. And, you know, I don't have to drive two or three miles to get to a Walmart. Well, that land 
is probably ripe turn into a subdivision of houses, assuming the market is such that I can actually make money building houses. So I look at that land as if it were a rezone and probably going after four houses per acre, for example. So when I can take a piece of agricultural land and rezone it to four houses per acre, what have I done? I haven't touched the land. I've immediately doubled or tripled the value of the land without doing anything to it. So that's an easy play. Plus, it's also easy to work with the sellers of these properties to get them to hold some owner financing, even for short term. And you might need a little bit of money. Somebody's got to pay the engineer to go down and change the zoning, which is all there is to it. You know, I'm not going to anybody courthouse or anything. You know, there's people that will do that for a very small amount of money, and they know what they're doing. So I just sit around and wait for them to get it rezoned and preferably approved for X number of units per acre. And immediately, the value goes just like that. So the easiest exit strategy then would be to just sell it off to a builder and let them take it from there and develop the horizontal and building houses, which anybody building a house is always looking for land. And of course, they prefer developed lots, but that means I got to raise more money and do more work. So I'd probably just sell the land off as is. How long would you typically have to hold something like that? That totally depends on where you live and the process of getting it rezoned and how long that takes and also the market. If your market is hot, obviously it'll be gone before you can even get through the process. You get a contract and buy it and they'll buy it whenever the process is complete. If it's not so hot, well, I don't know. But again, it all depends on the market. If we're going up market, then I might sit on it less than a year. If we're in a down market, I might take two or three years. But good news, the market's always changing. Somebody's always going to want that land. So what have you seen to be some of the hardest parts of the syndication business for you? The answer is very simple. A syndication is uh, worthless if you don't know where how you're going to sell the units. So the first thing I would ask you, if you were asking me, should I do a private placement? I would say, who's going to buy the units and who's going to sell them to them? And if you don't have an answer for that, you might as well save the legal fees because you're not going to get anywhere with it. Nice. So what about students? What are some of the biggest problems that students have or people that you help and mentor? Well, the first biggest problem is getting some education because if we don't get that, it's all for naught. We're not going to get off square one. So you should go to people who are qualified to help you with that education and latch on to that. And then, of course, the second biggest problem people worry about is where am I going to get the money? Well, that's just a matter of getting trained on how to buy these properties without your money. I actually do a one time a year. I do a four-day commercial boot camp here in Jacksonville, Florida, where I live. First day is 14 ways to buy commercial property without money down. Some of them need money. Don't get me wrong. It doesn't have to be your money. And that's the whole key. There's so much money out there chasing deals. So much money. You'll never get to the bottom of the trillions of dollars of money out there chasing deals. And where are they going to do with it? Stock market? Where it's safe? <laughs> I don't know. So it's not really hard to get the money, especially nowhere near as hard as people think it is. The hardest part is getting started. But on the other hand, you're not going to get the money unless you have a deal that is worthy of attracting the money. So it's just a matter of appealing to the investors, as you well know, and giving them enough for them to make the decision, okay, this is as good a place as any to put my money. So again, starts with education and then it continues with the ability to, where am I going to get the money to do this project? Because I'm not going to be go firing offers out on properties. I have no idea where the money's coming from. In fact, you see a lot of guys doing that out in the industry right now with a sole intention of wholesaling the property. Of course, sometimes it takes them a while to figure out you don't wholesale a 200 unit apartment complex like you do a single family house. Buyers want to do a lot of due diligence and there's time that's got to go by and hard to tie up a property long enough to go through that process and wholesale it. I'm not saying it's not going on because it is, but if I make an offer on a commercial project, I'm going to want to know where the money's coming from before I make the offer. Hmm. 
No, I like that. And what are some ways you advise so you can know where the money's coming from before you make the offer? Well, private placements is one of those, or just getting a few people you know to put up the money. But the easiest thing to do is to work with a seller and get some short-term seller financing so that you don't have to raise that much money. For example, on my land thing. Now, I don't know of a builder that'll actually close on a piece of land hoping it's going to be four units per acre until it is four units per acre. So they'll sit around and wait till it's rezoned before they'll buy it. However, if I got a piece of land out here and my engineers went down and checked with the zoning department and don't see any reason why this can't get rezoned, I might just go ahead and buy the land because I'd really rather own it. But if I do, then I'll probably get the seller some kind of a down payment, but not a very big one. And then let them owner finance the balance. I did a lot of deals with a two or three year balloon and no payments and no interest. I'm not going to make payments on a piece of vacant land. I'll tell you that. But that doesn't mean the seller won't work with me because, hey, they get a little money now and they know darn well I'm going to raise the value of the property. So it's in their best interest to just let me do it. Hey, worst case, I don't pay them. Their property is still worth more than it was when they met me. So all I need money for is a bound payment and whatever the engineers charge me to go get a rezone. And frankly, that's never more than just a few thousand dollars. So I don't need to raise much money. Say I'm buying a piece of property for half a million dollars. I give the seller $25,000, $50,000 down. Well, I'm going to he can either raise that or I can ask the seller to subordinate and let me borrow that $75,000 on their land as a first mortgage from a private individual, which is, of course, very easy to get. It's a very low loan-to-value ratio. Now, I'm going to make payments on that loan maybe while I get the property turned around, but why don't I just borrow it from the private lender and let it accrue interest? I'll give you principal and interest at the same time somebody buys me out of this property. So remember, I'm not borrowing from loan sharks like me. I'm borrowing from individuals who would rather have a higher rate of return. They're going to get it in the stock market. Safely secured on a first mortgage that with a very low loan-to-value ratio. That's called subordination, by the way. Mm. I asked the seller to take a second and allow me to get a new first on their property. So I'm using their asset to raise the money to turn their asset around. Interesting. Yeah, vacant land. Pretty easy to do on vacant land. So what is a way maybe that you have recently improved your business that we could all apply to ours? Well, businesses, I have several. I even own a restaurant, (laughs) okay, which everybody should own to see how easy the rest of the businesses are. (laughs) And I have a book out called The Less I Do, The More I Make, Whitney. In fact, it's on Amazon, The Less I Do, The More I Make. And it's all about automation, systemization, and delegation. And the older I get, the less I want to do of anything. So I mastered the art of delegation. And I teach my students, you should get yourself to the point where the only thing you need to do in business is make decisions, make the big decisions and let everybody else do all the other stuff. And I also tell them there is not one thing that you need done in your business that somebody else can't do for you if you'll let them. And usually for a very small amount of money and quite often much better than you'll do it. Then again, us men, we struggle with that one because testosterone won't allow us to get out of the way. They're control freaks. And if it's working perfectly, it must be fixed. So whatever I do going forward or for the past several years, I'm not going to be personally involved to the point where I have to show up for work or I just don't even want to mess with it. Even my house business is on autopilot. I don't do much. My restaurant, I don't do, I eat there. Quality control department. (laughs) Okay. It's the job of somebody else. So I don't really, it doesn't make any difference what business you're in. Same principle applies. Yeah. Give us a tip in delegating or maybe hiring our first employee. Who should that be? Well, I think before I went to hiring people, especially if I didn't have an office, I'd go to outsourcing because anything you need somebody to hire somebody for, you probably find it outsourcing a lot cheaper. Plus you don't have to pay for an hour. They're not working. <laughs> you pay them by the job usually. 
We have a whole floor of virtual assistants here in Jacksonville at our company called Global Publishing. And their job is to call sellers for our customers, find out if they would consider taking terms on their houses or not, and get the facts on the house. We make about 25,000 of those calls a month for them, so they don't have to. So we've taken the burden off of them doing all that grunt work, and maybe they'll have a better chance of succeeding because if they have to do all the grunt work, chances of succeeding go where? Down, down, down. Whatever the job is you need to get done, there's somebody out there that can do it, and there are services. There are employment services that can find people if you want them. Of course, that's for employees, but it's just a matter of what am I need done? Back in the first place, go to Google. Who does this at Google? God bless Google. What do we do without Google anyway? Huh? Just go to Google. And there's a whole list of companies to call and find out, this is what I want done. Can you do it? What do you charge me? And of course, if they don't get it done, what do you do? Whack them and do it again until you find the right person. That's how businesses work, isn't it? No matter what the product or service is. Very valuable information right there, that's for sure. And Ron, what's the number one thing that's contributed to your success? One, I love to work. I'm working hard to figure out what more work to do, not working hard to get out of work. Number two, I got an alligator skin. When you get my age and you've been through what I've been through, not much bothers you. That kind of helps. I'm not always worrying about loss. I'm worrying more about winning. Number three, I've learned how to protect myself from predators so that if I get attacked, they're not getting anything. That helps a lot. It makes you sleep better at night. And number four, my thinking. The more you get out there and the more you succeed, the larger your thinking gets. And I deal with people from all walks of life. Some come in, literally, their self-esteem is so low. It's not about what they can do. It's about what they think they can do. The first thing we have to do is change their thinking and teach them, hey, this is where the money is. This is how you get out. How come you can't do this? It doesn't require money. It doesn't require credit. We do it without risk. We close with attorneys. What are you worried about? And of course, some people are just going to spend the day looking for something to worry about. But what makes them really get going is when they get that first check. First check is a big, important check. So again, I don't care how big that first check is, but we got to get to that first check quickly. Uh, to A, convince us that we are worthy. And also it's what I call my shut up check. When the dream stealers come at you, you know, hold that check up, shut up, go away, leave me alone. Because people will always be trying to steal your dreams. Nobody really wants you to succeed. Of course, unless they live in your household. Now the whole world's trying to get you. They want to take you out. And when you come to grips with the fact that they're not on your side and they're not your friend, regardless of what comes out of their mouth, they'd really rather just see you fail so they could waller in self-pity with you. This is called alligator skin. You're in business very long. You're going to find out. No, they're not rooting for you. They're rooting against you. You, They just won't tell you that. And the whole world is full of people who are going to lie, cheat, and steal and do everything they can to hurt you. Get over it. Move on. Forget about it. Because that's just the world we live in right now. On the other hand, you take care of the people who take care of you and worry about generating revenue and quit focusing on cost control. You'll find things go a whole lot better, especially when you get the heck out of the way and let other people do what they do best. So you can do what you do best, and that's generate revenue. Love it. That's awesome. Great advice. And Ron, how do you like to give back before we have to go? Well, that's pretty much what I do nowadays. I still teach. I'm 72 years old. People ask me all the time, what are you doing out here? I thought she was going to send a clone. Now, I always say to them, well, what is it you want me to do? Okay. <laughs> I take all the trips I want. I fish all I want. And I hit them golf balls. I can't see where they land. So, frankly, I teach. And as long as I still want to do it, I'll keep doing it. But I give back by getting people out of the mental and financial traps that they're in. So that's kind of fun when you can help people see the future instead of just predict it and wait and see what happens next. See, it doesn't matter who's president. doesn't matter if we're in a recession or not. doesn't matter what the interest rates are. Up market, down market, I've been through all of them. 
And what matters is that you make sure there's never another recession in your house. Cash flow up. Quit worrying about what you can't control. Ron, you've been a great guest. You've provided so much great information and help educate us today. And I really appreciate your time. Tell the listeners how they can learn more about you. Well, there's all kinds of ways to do that. You can find me at ronlegrand.com for sure. ronlegrand.com forward slash free book is where you can get my real estate book. And if you want my wholesaling course, you can go get that at ronsdollardeal.com. And if you want an all-day seminar, well, you know what? Just go to ronlegrand.com. You'll find anything you want on there, all kinds of free stuff on there as well. And you can get acquainted with what I do. And if you want to go to YouTube, that'll keep you busy until your retirement age. (laughs) (laughs) Ron, I can't thank you enough for your time today and hope the listeners will take you up on all the free information and putting your book out for free. It's incredible. Thank you for that. And I hope the listeners, like I said, will go to ronlegrand.com. I also hope you'll go to LifeBridge Capital and connect with me and uh, go to our Facebook group, The Real Estate Syndication Show, where we can all learn from experts like Ron and, and grow our businesses together. Okay. Well, thank you for having me, Whitney. And I'll make one more statement. Yes, please. You know, if you're looking for a place to park some money, you certainly better make sure you park it with somebody that actually does what they say, like the man you're listening to right now. Attached to yourself, the people that are actually doing the business, not just talking about the business, because there's a whole bunch of them out there. And I wouldn't be here if I didn't believe that was true. Thank you for having me, sir. Uh, Thank you very much for that, Ron. I really appreciate that. We will talk to each of you tomorrow. Thank you for listening to the Real Estate Syndication Show, brought to you by LifeBridge Capital. LifeBridge Capital works with investors nationwide to invest in real estate, while also donating 50% of its profits to assist parents who are committing to adoption. LifeBridge Capital, making a difference, one investor and one child at a time. Connect online at www.lifebridgecapital.com for free material and videos to further your success.